Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. Now, if you are listening at 106.9 uh, KHEN, uh, you might want to, well, you might want to just uh, think about all those who are listening in other ways. I see here that our Taiwanese rail fans are listening and that they're in their jammies because it's 24 hours <laughs> away. So that's kind of fun to think of all the, all the various ways that people, you know, listen to this show and what, what, they, what they're doing. But we're, we're still here in the old caboose. Um, the fire is <clears throat> burning down a little bit there in the, in the coal stove. Could we ask our engineer, Rick, could you, uh, Rick White, that is our engineer, could we ask you to put a little more coal? On? <clears throat> we uh, don't want to get too chilly back here in the, in the old caboose. And if anybody's up in the angels' seat up there, why, looking out over the frozen landscape, why we would want them to, to tuck in too, because... We're about to start talking to Spencer Dodge, our very special, special uh, interviewee today. He works uh, for CDOT, but he interfaces, of course, with the Southwest Chief and Front Range Rail Commission with those 11 uh, members. So he has a very interesting role. He's, uh, <laughs> he kind of uh, occupies two Two seats at the same time, you might say. So, anyway, Spencer, welcome again. Let's let's continue our discussion of of the future of Front Range Rail here. Thanks for having me, Forrest. Now, Spencer, we have had a number of questions that have come in. We we did talk last time a little about the the seniors feeling that wondering what Amtrak was going to do. They do provide some excellent service for seniors. And people were, they were wondering, number one, are we in fact going to start serving uh, Walsenburg on the inner cut, if you might say, of the chief? And what's your sense of how that's going? Or yeah, That's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of the, with my work with the commission, you know, a lot of the conversation and the buzz is around front range passenger rail and, and rightfully so, it's a big new service, but um, Kind of our, our second mission here is to is to really focus on the Southwest Chief, and, and that's kind of two-headed. One is to ensure that continued service, and two 
is to really look at rerouting that service to go up north towards Pueblo um, and then back down south uh, through Walsenburg. And so, um, you know, we've, we've got a, a study underway. Um, we successfully received a, a Federal Railroad Administration grant um, to look at kind of that first step of rerouting that Southwest Chief. And, and the way we're envisioning this is kind of a, um, a, phased, uh, a phased approach here. Uh, what we're looking at right now is, is operating a through car service uh, or figuring out how to operate a through car service um, north from, uh, from Trinidad and, and La Junta up into Pueblo and then back south. Um, and what that is is really to kind of explore how can we make that connection to Pueblo um, and then eventually head down south through Walsenburg. And so uh, it's going to take a little time uh, to figure that out. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, things with trains or at least building trains doesn't go quickly. Um, and so we're, we're really kind of phasing this out and, and, and approaching this um, kind of the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So, uh, you know, we've got kind of that first stage underway um, and, and we've just got to keep pushing. Um, and, that's, and that's what we're here for. So, um, you know, the idea of rerouting up through Walsenburg is, is certainly not lost on the, on the rail commission, um, lot, not lost on me, um, and it's not lost on Amtrak. You know, we're making sure they're aware that, hey, this is something we really want to explore. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, we're still working on that. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time, right? But, uh, but we've got some actual momentum going right now where we're, we're doing some of those, that technical work to kind of get that started. So Spencer, what I hear you saying then is that we need to, we need to get somebody from Amtrak on this show or their uh, liaison person on this show to see what, how they feel about you know, that, that kind of rerouting. We used to have Rob Eaton. I don't know if he's, is Rob still around at all? Rob is indeed still around. Um, he is a, he's, the, um, he's the Amtrak representative on the Rail Commission. Um, I, I talk to him once, twice, sometimes even three or four times a week. Uh, and, um, he is, uh, he's great. I can, I can absolutely uh, pass the word on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, if, if you would. And in fact, well, once we go off the air here, I'll try to get a phone number too from you uh, for him. And again, because uh, that seems critical then if that's, I, I do see what you're saying, that um, you would then have to, uh, you'd have to leave Trinidad, you'd have to go north, then you'd have to get on the inner line if that's the, that's the that's the Burlington that's the old Burlington and or CNS going that way and then you'd go up through well where would you go uh, you leave Trinidad you'd go up straight you're headed for Pueblo yeah right? yeah head towards Pueblo and then um, again and this is part of the reason why we need to kind of uh, you know do a little more of the technical technical work because myself I'm, I'm thinking well yes on a map on a general map right I can visualize it but as far as actually working on those uh, existing freight right-of-ways and kind of the existing um, infrastructure there it's, it gets a little bit more uh, specific and um, right now I don't quite have that but it's in general Trinidad to Pueblo um, and then down south uh, to link back up with the Southwest Chief but that would be through Walsenburg. Through Walsenburg in that way. Yeah. Well um, <laughs> Well, the Solovia family, we're, we should include the Solovia family in this. I'm sure you know about them. We've had them on this show. Delightful family. They, um, as you know, just got really upset with the Union Pacific for charging them too much to ship their grain across the towner line and so on. And, and um, so they uh, said, well, that's it. We'll buy that. So they bought it. And now they own <laughs> They now own the Towner line, yep. so which which feeds uh, 
and they would they would love to eventually uh, run passenger you know that's sort of in their mind and they're they're a remarkable family goodness sakes the things that that they've done mostly with with a an eye toward helping out Colorado but you know they could probably do that they probably could cut into that plan somewhere they need to be uh, well, have their rep or somebody on the rail commission and come to think of it yeah huh I don't I, that's probably be above your pay grade but, <laughs> just just a little bit maybe <laughs> okay. what what do you think do you think something like that might happen that we might tap into their railroad network some way um, you know, I don't want to close any possibilities. Uh, you know, I'd like to, I generally try to leave every door open until, mm -hmm. uh, until it is forced closed. Right. Um, and so I don't, you know, I don't want to say, you know, there's, there's no way that's going to happen. And I certainly don't want to say yes, absolutely. Um, we're, we're so, we're so far early in the process of, of kind of planning out this reroute of the Southwest chief that we're leaving everything on the table right now. Um, I'm more than happy to talk sure. with them and, and try to figure out how we can, you know, achieve mu mutual goals if possible. Uh, but you know, we're, we're not opposed to it, but. Wouldn't that be an interesting trip? You could get on one of their trains in Eastern Colorado, run over to Pueblo, get on the front range Pueblo commuter, go up to a Union Station in Denver, spend the night in Lodo, have a good time there. Uh, no, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> that, well, that, would, that, is, that is a fun thing to do go to the art museum. Uh, those are things I would do. Now uh, they're probably, yeah. Yeah, and when that's that's really kind of um, what we think about when we think about rerouting the Southwest Chief is really connecting, you know, Denver and Colorado Springs with that Southwest Chief line that can bring in folks from Chicago or bring in folks from San Francisco. Um, uh -huh. and, and really like, you know, uh, bring in more tourists, if you will. Um, there's a lot of folks who want to see America, but they don't want to drive through the whole thing, or they don't want to fly to a destination. And so we can really kind of capture that market as well um, by connecting you know, the whole front range with, with the passenger rail system. So yeah. spot on there for us. Boy, boy, possibilities, huh? <laughs> I think about it often. <laughs> yeah. no, nothing, nothing, like, nothing like a boxcar full of money coming from Washington, D.C. <laughs> to Colorado. Now that we, we want to encourage that sort of thing to, to keep Absolutely. happening. And um, I know that both of our senators are definitely on, on board with this. Uh, and I know that at least uh, one of our uh, Congress people uh, who represents um, Vale and that area, I'm trying to think of his name right now, but he, he was certainly listed amongst passenger rail supporters mm -hmm. um what um how quickly we forget these names around here yeah but um with two senators on board that that should help as yeah, we say it's true we've got um you know at this point significant um support from from our federal delegation uh, you know senator hickenlooper is on um he's on a couple of subcommittees uh that we really kind of uh interface well with passenger rail. And so we've been in touch with their, uh, with both, um, both offices for our senators and, and some of our representatives. And, um, you know, we've, we've got loud voices and, and supportive voices in, in, uh, in Washington, DC. And that's always helpful for big projects like this, especially when there's uh, big federal dollars on the line, right? Oh. 
would those federal dollars be thought of as a stimulus package? I wonder how they would consider those. Um, well, I, I think it's when you think about stimulus, um, a lot of this money is coming through the American Jobs Plan uh, or is proposed to come through the American Jobs Plan. Uh, and I think that's really kind of looked at. Um, there's at least the way I view it, there's kind of a, a acute stimulus and there's um, kind of a larger stimulus, right? So there's the, the stimulus to help us recover from, um, you know, the last 14 months that have been really tough for everybody throughout the country. And so there's that kind of stimulus right there, but then there's the bigger stimulus as far as reinvesting in our infrastructure throughout the, throughout the United States. Um, and I only use stimulus there because it's, uh, it's kind of a jump start, uh, just to remind the American people, hey, this is what we're capable of. You know, we built an interstate system across the whole continent um, and, and we're still building that system. You know, we built a you know, the transcontinental railroad. It happened. We can do these big infrastructure projects. And so it's really just kind of, you know, uh, refreshing that motivation and reminding all of us of who we are and, and what we're capable of. So um, in that sense, I think of it as a stimulus uh, in, in a broader term. Broader sense. Yeah. Well, jobs, you think of jobs, you think of railroad jobs, you think of if, um, Amtrak decided to bring back the diners. Mm -hmm. Goodness sakes, those were, that was a, a real source of employment yep. and traditionally a source of uh, minority uh, employment mm -hmm. as well. I think, uh, I think the, the employment and, and the jobs that we're talking about here, it's kind of a cascading um, effect, right? So initially, if we're going to build rail, um, we, we quite literally just need rail. Um, and I think, Forrest, you're probably aware of this and, and some of your listeners may be as well. Uh, the, the largest rail producer um, in North America is right here in Colorado and Pueblo. Uh, and so when you think about that, I mean, there's the jobs just continually from start to finish. Um, you're talking about skilled labor uh, to actually lay the rails. Um, once we have a, a system up and running, um, you know, we're thinking about uh, attendance in the cars. We're talking about engineers. We're talking about uh, kind of, you know, dispatchers. Um, it just, it keeps on going. And when you take the, the total of it, and I apologize, I haven't quite, uh, haven't quite done this analysis on how much employment it can bring. Um, you know, it really has far-reaching effects, especially, you know, I could keep going. Um, when we start seeing these, these stations develop, um, you know, that's prime uh, development area right there where you can see small businesses move in and, and you know, it just, it keeps on going where I really feel like this could be um, a really big win as far as employment numbers go. Pretty exciting, it is exciting. And um, well, you see that happening even in Denver, when whenever there's a uh, a light rail station going in, that area around there suddenly picks up more apartment construction, more um, neighborhood stores. Some of those things all begin to to fill in around that around that station. I think the Denver Union Station is the biggest example of that, right? Yeah. Um, once you start bringing in transit towards uh, in that neighborhood, um, you know we've seen. It's some of the most expensive property in the whole state now, uh, whereas 30 years ago, that, that wasn't the case. And so it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's a special case, but it does kind of uh, emphasize, you know, the kind of development that can occur. Well, that's hey, so amazing. Forrest, mind, do you mind if I step yeah, well, in let's, for a let's, second? Uh, yep, yep. Caboose to engineer. Let's. <laughs> I, uh, I put my gloves on and I added a few pieces of coal to the stove. All right. So you should be comfortable yeah. shortly. Um, my question is this to Spencer. Um, since this is all speculative, if the money was there, if the federal government could give you however many billions it would take, 
Um, what do you think a, t a reasonable or uh, a, a time frame that we might see this uh, front range rail service in service? Mm -hmm. uh, are we talking about, well, we talk about it with Forrest and his friends and they're like, well, we'll never see it. Um, I go, well, I might see it, uh, you know, live that long. And you look like you're of an age that you might see it. How do you see it? So I think it's, um, you know, it's a matter of, again, uh, I think um, previously I spoke with you for us kind of on, on phasing and approaching this, right? I don't think on day one uh, of, of Front Range Passenger Rail Service, um, I don't see it, you know, it's train running all the way from Fort Collins to Pueblo. Um, you know, we're going to have to in, uh, kind of introduce service in a phased approach. Um, and so I think with that in mind, it's kind of a nuanced question, right? So when is the first day there's going to be a train running? I think, um, you know, the, the kind of the big question there is, again, uh, there's, there's so many different issues with passenger rail in Colorado, but one of the big ones here is, uh, is in the Denver metro area, that northwest rail line uh, between Denver and Boulder. Um, I, I, um, in true candidacy, I think that it's going to be difficult uh, to get front range passenger rail done uh, without there being uh, the northwest rail line done. Um, there's just so much political pressure there and community pressure there to get that done that it will be hard for us to run a train from Pueblo to Colorado Springs or or even Denver to Fort Collins or whatever it may be uh, without first addressing that, um, that issue there. Uh, and so with all of that in mind, I'm, I'm hesitant to put a number on it, um, but I think in a, in a perfect world, um, you know, we can see this happening in, in five to seven years of wow. significant service. Um, in a more realistic world, I think it might be closer to probably 10 years or, or a little bit longer than that when you see significant and what I would consider to be, you know, service service besides just kind of those first initial trains where, you know, at the beginning, it may be just a few trains a day just to kind of build up ridership patterns. Um, when we talk with uh, with some of the more successful newer newer corridors throughout the country, um, the, the one that comes to mind first is kind of that Cascades area, uh, Seattle, Portland, Eugene. Um, the way they kind of introduced their service was uh, incrementally, right? You know, start with a few trains and when uh, demand for those trains are, are so great that you need more trains, then you add more trains. Um, some of the, the less successful cases are where you know, they right out of the gate trying to run 48 trains a day and, you know, 47 of those are empty. Uh, and, and then, you know, you incur some major costs. And so it's really kind of a matter of, of phasing it in both operationally uh, in um, kind of physically, geographically, right? So again, uh, I, it's, it's really hard to say, uh, you know, we still have a lot of the planning process to go through. Um, we still have a, a lot of the money that we're going to have to have to bring in um, into our accounts to, to actually get this built. And so I think, again, perfect, wonderful world, everything goes right. Um, you know, maybe five to seven years is when we start having a few things running. Um, but I, I would hedge that bet personally, uh, maybe closer to the you know, seven to 10, maybe 11 years. Well, you know, let's see, in response to that, I think it's great that you have a model of a, a train line where it has worked. Mm -hmm. And then also something that has not worked as well. Yeah. And it just really helps you guide yourself or guide your organization steer in a way yeah yeah that's, well, that's, just, to, just to rick if i may uh yeah. continue on that line of thinking there is that you know similar to how we didn't want to reinvent the wheel here in colorado you know we really tried to emphasize building upon the studies the rocky mountain rail authority study um the interregional connectivity study you know really build on the work that's already been done um nationally we really made a focus to look around the country and say okay well what's worked for other people and what's not worked um 
you know, we hear a lot of uh, up and down the corridor. I hear, you know, don't be California. So, okay, well, what did California do, and, and how can we approve upon that, right? And so, you know, we're the Rail Commission is part of the States for Passenger Rail Coalition, um, and so I have contacts throughout the country who are running passenger rail operations. And, um, you know, I talk with them often just to, you know, to gather more lessons learned and some more of that institutional knowledge that we just don't have here in Colorado quite yet. And so really kind of building upon our, or building with our friends and, and learning from their uh, their successes and their mistakes, if that may be the case. It's, yeah. No, those are wonderful questions and, and ones we want to get back to uh, a lot in the future. And and also, we, as you say, we, we back, in, back in the day, Rocky Mountain Rail Authority, why, uh, as we did those studies, we could we could see the 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 market building mm-hmm. and i think the market is there and i'm glad you said five to seven years now wouldn't that be nice i'll still be here in seven years i hope <laughs> and and um and some of them like well like the walsenberg connection that people look, look at i mean those are that is existing rail mm-hmm. after all and <clears throat> you, would, you would think that could work in yeah, and so I think, I think that's that's a good point. There is the the kind of existing infrastructure that that is along the front range. Um, you know, all of that is owned by the Class One railroads, and so what we really have to make sure we do is, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, just put the train on, you know, just put the train on those rails that are beside I twenty five. It's easy. Well, physically, yes, maybe that might be easy, but what we have to really take into account is that's not our rails. Um, that's the Class One rails, and and they have a business to operate on there. So we're really trying to work with them. Um, kind of to, to focus on, on these early stages. How can we uh, you know, slot in some passenger rails that is not affecting their business? Is that possible? Um, before we get to the point where, hey, we're gonna have to you know, build a whole new rail line that's 183 miles. And um, you know, that's, a big, uh, that's a big investment and, and it may not be an investment necessary for, for two trains a day, right? So we are trying to figure out how we can mesh that operational phasing with the, the infrastructure build out. Yeah, and, and, and trying to, Trying to, as you say, get those two things to work together is going to be difficult because the class ones these days are into running two mile long trains. Yep. You know, I mean, they, uh, they they take up half a railroad just to to to, to run a, a a train. Some of which are high quality merchandise. Some yep. of which are right off the docks in in L.A. Some of which is coal. And I, we think the coal is is probably going to decline. Uh, we you don't know for sure, but it sounds that way. And uh, so that that would would, would certainly open up yeah. a lot of trackage. Yeah, and I think so. uh, what do you, you you guys are probably taking that into account? Some yeah, we are. Um, you know, again, it's so just. Anecdotally, I'm from Kentucky, and so the, the the business of predicting coal is has kind of been in, baked into my blood uh, since before I was born. And so it's really trying to look at what's happening around us, right? Like Colorado, we're closing our coal plants, and so with that in mind, it's thinking, well, hey, maybe there might not be as many coal trains because of that issue um, along the Front Range. Uh, we look north to Wyoming and the Powder River Basin. Um, you know that coal production is is not what it once was, and and it's not predicted to be what it was. And so also taking that, maybe these coal trains are can be less often or, or even smaller trains. And so, um, you know, really working with the class ones, again, they have the business to run. So you know, they, they, they have to keep some of that information to themselves and, and rightfully so uh, due to you know, competitive uh, issues there. Um, and so really trying to work with them to, to get as much information as we can 
uh, without going overboard, right? Ricky, predicting that kind of a future, isn't it? You know, I mean, even even in the small scale, look at um, Craig and that part of Colorado. I mean, that's so dependent on on coal. Yes. You, you know, uh, well, 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 and and in the Navajo Reservation, as they say, they're not going to burn any coal anymore. They say that, and that's a huge part of northern Arizona. Yep. So, so the, some of these changes we never would have, I wouldn't have ever predicted some of right. those changes. Again, and those um, uh, we've, we've spoken before about the, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, yes. and this is one of them, you know, trying to predict yeah. uh, the, way the, the way the world is going to be in, in 15, 20 years from now. We, we just don't know. That's right. Changes that you see, the Union Pacific in California is using a lot of battery-operated um, switch engines. Most of their switch engines all along the West Coast are battery-operated. Now, who would ever have... And at night they plug them in. They they just put them on a side track and plug them in. I mean, wow! Now that's we would never have thought that. That's right. That's and that's an area we're really excited about. Um, you know, when we look at kind of the, the reasons for passenger rail, one of those is kind of the air quality impacts. Um, you know, how can we move people in a way that's not you know dumping out so many uh, oh. so many exhaust uh, exhaust fumes into the into the atmosphere? And one of those is battery powered technology. So we're really trying to figure out how we can. How we can leverage those new technologies, and then at a federal level, um, you know, they also have a big interest in that. And so, if we can kind of uh, interface those two ideas of, of, you know, really kind of pushing emerging technologies while also introducing a new service, um, that's that's an area where we're really excited about. And and I imagine we interface a lot, of course, with New Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like they're very much on board with these these same ideas. That's right. And, uh, and of course, all the old timers lament the loss of uh, Denver to Portland, the loss of uh, Denver to L.A. But some of that may come back as well. I mean, I think Amtrak may say, huh, we used to have a really neat market here with Denver to Portland or Denver to L.A. stopping in Las Vegas for gamblers. <laughs> That's right. Well, you can still take the California Zephyr from Denver out to out to California and Los Angeles. Um, goes through Salt yeah. Lake City. Uh, I've not, I've yet to take it, um, but I'm told oh. it's one of the, the prettier rides through Colorado. You'll enjoy it. <clears throat> we had uh, Brad uh, uh, Schwartzvelter on here. He's a conductor on the uh, California Zephyr, and he was just describing the beauties of that trip. He he never gets tired of it. Mm -hmm. it it's and um, he just thinks it's, you know, he thinks it's America's premier trip and, and um, he wishes it were promoted more. Uh, well, back here in the, in the old caboose, we're seeing a yellow, a flashing yellow ahead. Oh, that's not just the yellow, that's the flashing yellow, which <laughs> means the next one is gonna be red, you guys. So what we need to do is to thank Spencer Dodge for being here today. He's taking on the huge task of coordinating the Southwest Chief and Front Range Rail Commission on the one hand, CDOT on the other hand, the Colorado legislature in his back pocket, DOT in his front pocket. <laughs> um, let's see, 
And all the while, and, the people of Colorado in front of me. That's my biggest, uh, that's my that's, biggest constituent there. So it, it, all, it all comes down to you, Spencer. Thank you very much. It's really nice to have you here. Thank and you so much we'll, for having me. Well, we'll get you again. And if you ever want to wander out this way, uh, there's, uh, there's some fun little tourist trains to take oh, yeah. around here, too. And uh, do you have wives and kids? I've got a fiance um, and she's, she's been drugged on a few train trips at this point now as well. So. <laughs> oh, well, uh, then she's gotta be a, she's gotta be a good person. If she does. She's with me. So I think so. Oh, <laughs> that, that'll do it. Oh my gosh. Well, all right. The, the, uh, it's, it's about time to, to lower the windows and the caboose here, uh, stick our heads out. Uh, get, are we going to write a, shall we light a fusee and just throw it out? So we have some, some, some fireworks just kind of lighting up the snow. All right. Our engineer, Rick White, he's going to, he's got a fusee right there. We're going to, all right, we're, we're getting ready to do a big high ball. Yep. All right. There it goes. Okay. One, two, three. High ball, high ball, high ball, rolling, high ball. Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.